We go to Psalm 84, verses 1 through 4. And the psalmist says this, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. That word amiable, it is lovely, it is beautiful, it is splendid, it is amazing. The psalmist is saying, God, your buildings are incredible. This temple of God, this, this is amazing. It's immaculate. It is splendous. And so verse 2, he goes on to say, My soul longs, yea, it even faints for the courts, the property of the Lord. In my heart, my flesh cry out for the living God. For you see, the sparrow has found a house. And the swallow has found a nest for herself. But not just for themselves. What they have found is a place where they can lay their young. And I'm so thankful for the church. I'm so thankful for the house of God that first and foremost, it is for us. It is for the the place where we can be ministered to and God can make an impact in our lives and we can be saved and transformed. But it's more than just us. It is for our generations to come are young a place for them and it says this place has altars a place to pray O lord of hosts my king and my god and this is what happens when you make god's tabernacle your priority he says blessed are they that dwell in thy house they will be still praising thee selah there is a benefit there is a blessing when we have the attitude and the emotion and the drive, just like the psalmist did here, about commenting about the temple of God, how amiable, how beautiful, how incredible it is. God, my, my soul longs to be there. My heart faints. It desires. It is driven to be there because I, right now as I'm quarantined in my home, I, I look outside and I see the birds have nests. I look outside and I see other creatures of nature. They have a place to set their head. But God, me, I want to be found in your house more than any other place. And I know right now that there is an anxiousness in our society and an anxiousness about us right now that, yeah, we can have church in our homes, but we'd rather be congregated together in this geographical location that we have designated for the purposes of worship and the preaching of God's Word on 514th Avenue Northwest here in Watertown, South Dakota. And so it could almost be a, uh, a punch to the spiritual gut. It could all of a sudden cause the wind to go out from our sails or sweep our feet to be swept out from under us saying, man, I, I, I put so much stock, I put so much investment into this house of God. I put so much investment into this building, this geographical location where we congregate a couple times a week. It goes on to say in Psalm 27 and verse 4, there's one thing that I have desired of the Lord, and that is what I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. There's such an amazing thing about this property of God, this geographical location that people are compelled, or at least should be compelled to go to and find themselves there in the house of God, finding the presence of God and being ministered to. It's like what David said in Psalm 122 and verse 1. He says, I was 
glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. See, David, he really had a reason to be excited. He had a very genuine reason to be uh, enthusiastic about attending the house of God because David's house was not quarantined for a week or two weeks or a couple months. David's family was quarantined. It was forbidden to go to the house of God for 10 generations. According to the law, it forbade him from going because of an illegitimate birth that occurred. The law said for 10 generations, you cannot go to the house of the Lord. And you better believe he was glad when the quarantine was lifted, when the the limitations of his family of generations being at the property of God's house. David was like, I was glad when they said unto me, I can be in the house of the Lord. I'm so excited to be in God's house. But once more here, we find ourselves separated from a geographical location. We find ourselves in a distance, we find ourselves separated from the very thing that we've been trained to love, the thing that we've been disciplined to be a part of, the very thing that's a part of our DNA of what we do as Christians, what we do on Sundays, what we do on midweek services. We find ourselves in this valley of separation. In the New Testament, John chapter 4 and verse 20, Jesus is found in this setting, and he is talking to a woman at a well. And this woman at the well, she is um, having conversation with Jesus, and it's not very uh, appropriate culturally for them to be speaking at this time because, uh, you know, he is a Jew and she is a Samaritan, and they just kind of don't hang out at all. And so that's why she would go out to this this well at that time of day, not just because she was a Samaritan, but because she has lived a very... Uh, unclean life, a very sinful life. And so she didn't want to be the talk of the town in front of everybody. She'd rather have people talk behind her back. And so she would go at the worst time of day, at the heat of the day, to go get uh, water at the well. And Jesus is there, and they begin to have this conversation, and she's taken back that, one, someone is there. Two, that this Jew would talk to her, a unclean Samaritan. And as they're having this conversation, she makes this statement as we look into this moment here in verse 20. She begins to talk to Jesus and say, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place that men ought to worship. There was a disagreement as to the geographical location, the property as to which prayers and praise would go forth to the God that they served. And Jesus replies to her in verse 21. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming where you're neither going to worship in this mountain or worship at Jerusalem. Those aren't going to be the two confined locations of debate of worshiping the Father. He goes on to say in verse 22, you worship, ye know not what, but we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He doesn't say they're going to worship the Father in this mountain. He doesn't say they're going to worship this Father in Jerusalem. He doesn't say they're going to worship Father in brick and mortar. He says the worship 
that is going to come and the worship that now is been opened up to the world is to worship in spirit, not merely confinement to a geographical location because spirit transcends brick and mortar. Spirit transcends borders. Spirit transcends laws. Spirit transcends the natures that we are so confined to and accustomed to, the traditions that we are bound by and that we continue to live our lives in uh, compliance with. But Jesus says it's not going to be that way anymore. You will worship in spirit. And when you get to that place in the spirit, you can worship very true, very liberated. There's a truth. There is a right way to worship God because God is seeking that kind of worship towards him. For he says in verse 24, God is a spirit. He does not say God is a building. He does not say God is a property. He says God is is a spirit. And if your worship would be in spirit, not just in a building on a particular day, but wherever you find yourself, whether in Jerusalem or in this mountain or in this prairie or in this plain or in your home, you can get into the spirit and you can worship in spirit and in truth. Someone say amen. And so he says, this is what God is looking for. See, the father is seeking a people to worship in spirit. But for far too long, people have sought worship in a building or people have sought a building to worship. Now, we would never say that uh, openly. Neither did the Jews. In fact, Jesus, uh, you know, as he's teaching this principle, we see it carry on into the testimony of Stephen, who's the first martyr of the church in Acts chapter 6, is he's given a long survey trying to condense the Old Testament and the prophets and talking about idolatry. He begins to attach it and connect it to the temple and the traditions of the Pharisees and the Sadducees of that day. And ultimately, they finally understand what he is saying, that you are no different today than you were back then. You still have idols, and your idol is a temple. Your idol is a geographical property, and God is not a building, and God is not material. God is spirit. I'm telling you right now, though we may be removed from our accustomed building right now, we have the promise of God that this building is not to be our idol. This geographical property is not to be where we confine in our, our praise and our worship to. Wherever we are, we can tap into the spirit. Wherever we are, we can tap into the truth. And that is what God is looking for. In the book of Mark chapter 13, the disciples are with Jesus and they're by this temple. And at this temple, the disciples say to Jesus in verse 1 of Mark, he says, look, Master, look how beautiful these stones are. Look how beautiful this building is. Look at how beautiful this property is. And it is a miraculous sight because God is the one who commissioned it. God commissioned the very first temple for those who are against, you know, the concept of building. God's the one that initiated it. I know that, you know, we cannot confine God to a building, but God still set it in motion. And, and there was a beautiful tabernacle in the wilderness. But from there, after Moses and them built that, there was the Temple of Solomon, which took seven years to build this temple 
to the Lord with the best of materials out there. But then the children of God disobeyed, rebelled, and that temple that was built by Solomon was completely demolished and destroyed. And after this building was destroyed, after 70 years, the commission goes forth again for a building to be rebuilt, reconstructed as a house of worship for God. And they did it in, in perilous times. They did it in the most difficult moment and era possibly imaginable. But they did it by the miraculous provision in hand of the Lord. And the prophets were encouraging, the ministers were encouraging the people to build the temple of God. Before they even built walls, they built the house of God. Before they had defense mechanisms, they built, they laid the foundation of God. And when they went to rebuild the second temple, it was it was a beautiful moment, but it was a pitiful moment because as they laid the foundation, there was a great rejoicing in that day. But at the same time, there was a tremendous wailing and weeping as people remembered what the previous temple looked like, how glorious it was as it was built in the days of peace and wealth and prosperity by Solomon. And now they have this sorry excuse for a building. But the prophet of God, moved by the Holy Ghost, began to cry out. You look at this place and it looks terrible. But the latter house will be greater than the former. It was a prophecy. And sure enough, here we are in the days of Jesus. Because Herod, they call it Herod's temple. Herod helped build this place to be magnificent. It took 46 years to construct this building in this temple, 46 years. Solomon's temple was seven years, and it was excellent. But they say Herod's temple, after 46 years of building it, it was even more magnificent. It was more incredible, this building that was constructed. And it was miraculous provision by God. It was an impossible feat, an incredible feat. And so the disciples, rightfully so, are saying, look how amazing this is, Jesus. And Jesus turns to them in verse 2. You see... These great buildings, there will not be left one stone upon another. Every single physical stone and property of this building will be brought down to nothing. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 3 on down, the con- same context, it begins to expound a little bit here. They ask Jesus this question after he makes a statement. Jesus, will you tell us when these things are going to be, when this temple is going to be destroyed, when the end of time is going to come? It's very important for us to note this in verse 4. He says, take heed that no man deceive you, for many are going to come in my name. They'll say, well, I'm the Christ, and they will deceive many. And you will hear, these are the signs of the end time before Jesus Christ comes back for his church. He says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but don't be troubled. All these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation is going to rise against nation, and kingdom will rise against kingdom. There will be famines in the last days, and there will be pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places in the last days. That word pestilence literally means there will be disease. There will be plague in the last days. And right now, this is one of the rare moments ever recorded 
in history. There are a number of times where there were plagues that begin to spread. But this, this plague that is upon us right now, and I'm not saying this plague is of God. I'm not saying this plague is of the devil. I'm not talking that COVID-19 has to do with one realm or the other. It simply is there. And Jesus did give us a preview that the climate and the atmosphere of the last days, there are going to be earthquakes all over. There are going to be pestilences, disease worldwide. There's going to be famines. And he says this interesting statement in the next verse, verse 8. But these are just the beginning of sorrows. We think this is big, but it's just the beginning of sorrows. He says, then after that, there will be people delivered to be afflicted and killed, and people will be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Every nation worldwide united as it is right now and how to stop a virus, the world will be united how to stop a name. And that name is Jesus, and it's above every name in heaven and in earth. And he says, many people will be offended. People that are easily offended will be one of the conditions of the last days. You've got to basically walk on your tiptoes and walk carefully these days not to offend anybody. And people will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and they will deceive many. And because iniquity abounds in the last days, it says the love of many will wax cold. We are living in these days. But he says the person that endures to the end, you will go through these things. But those who can make it through these things, that person, those people will be saved we ought not to be afraid of going through these things. We ought to be afraid of crumbling under these things where we don't endure. God is trying to condition the church in this last hour to build its faith and endurance that come hell or high water, I can make it through it. God is so gracious and kind to take us onto the promised land little by little, lest the things around us would overtake us. And I do believe in moments like this that our world is in, God is trying to little by little prepare us, the beginning of sorrows to prepare us for the ultimate things that are to come. And if we would receive the test and try to not exempt ourselves or excuse ourselves from the test, we will build the spiritual stamina to endure to the end. Amen. And so he says this, Next, in verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Though all nations may unite in rebellion, God says, I will make sure all nations will have an opportunity for repentance. And then shall the end come. God has the ability and capacity in a worldwide united pandemic to be able to open, let there be a door presented where the church is going to go through that open door. And could it be that the open door that we like to preach about and hear about simply could be the doors of the church, that God would open the doors of the church and we would walk through it, meaning walk out of it and go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You can't reach everybody hiding behind doors, but going out those doors. And God has been trying to get us out of the palace as we preached the other week concerning this small window of opportunity that we have. I want to go through the open door, and the door may be the doors of this building. And if it takes that 
moment that we're in right now, for these doors of this building to be open for us to go out the doors and to reach out to people, then God, so be it. Whatever you got to do for us to do what you've called us to do, let it be. And someone say, in Jesus' name, God's ultimate plan is to reach the lost. God wants to get our eyes off the building and to get our eyes on the chief cornerstone. Not the cornerstone of this geographical property, but the spiritual cornerstone, the most firm foundation of all, to get our eyes off of brick and mortar and get it on a spiritual foundation that has been laid that no other man can lay, and Jesus Christ being the foundation in the prophets and the apostles. We must take heed to how we build on this foundation. You know, a little social distancing, a little quarantining might do us some good. Moses was quarantined out in the desert. It was not in Egypt that Moses was able to find his purpose. It was out in the desert that Moses was able to find his purpose. It was out wandering in Mount Sinai while he was quarantined and isolated and separated from everything else, Moses was able to find his cause. Moses was able to find his purpose. It was John the Baptist who was out in the wilderness, separated from everybody else, that ended up driving him to being a voice in the wilderness. There was always a wilderness, but until someone went out there and quarantined themselves, was there a voice lifted up in that hour? And that voice brought out the whole city and the whole town. Could it be in this quarantine, this separation and social distancing that we're never closer than we've ever been spiritually as we have socially distanced ourselves, that we become spiritually in proximity to our cause and to our purpose? Jesus was driven of the Spirit into the wilderness. He would go alone to pray. And in that time of quarantine, if that time of his closet prayer, those times of isolation, that is when he left the fasting of 40 days and went back into society. After quarantining of 40 days, when he went back into society, he came back in the power of the Spirit of God. It was after that moment that Jesus went alone to pray, and when he came down after an all-night prayer meeting, that he was able to select his 12 disciples who became the apostles. It was a man named John the Beloved, one of the apostles, one of those disciples that was doing a work of God closer to Jesus that when he was quarantined and he was separated on the Isle of Patmos, on this island all by himself, it was there that he was able not only to minister to the people of his day, but to minister of the people of a millennia later. That he was able to minister to us in this hour to give us a a glimpse and a preview of the days to come. It was a person quarantined and isolated in a prayer closet that got revelations from heaven and insights from above. It was the Apostle Paul, though he traveled the world and made the most of it to spread the gospel. Perhaps most of the most effective thing that he was able to do was when God mandated a quarantine in a jail cell. It was there in isolation that he gave himself 
himself to prayer and he gave himself to writing the scripture and the scriptures, these letters that we have called the Bible, the epistles are here today because a man was separated. I know that we may feel anxious and we may feel claustrophobic in this quarantine moment. But I hope that we can take a lesson from Moses, that we could take a lesson from John the Baptist, from Jesus Christ, from the Apostle Paul and John the Beloved, that we in our isolation, this segment that we're in right now, we can become more effective than we've ever been because we've been alone with God. But if we make the mistake of some others, that we don't try to distance ourselves from society. We try to keep ourselves in the stream of it all. We try to keep ourselves entertained with it all. And we must be careful what we entertain because we can sometimes entertain angels underwear. And there are good angels and there are bad angels. And we we should be cautious of what we open ourselves to. I want to really quarantine myself and I want to open myself up to God. I want the spirit of the living God to flow through me. I don't want Netflix flowing through me. I don't want another movie going through me. I don't want another just feed and post of fear going through me. I want the presence of God to flow through me because I know that the door is going to be open again. I know that this is going to pass because this is only the beginning of sorrows. And so there's more to endure. And if I can build up my stamina in this moment of separation, when I go back out into society, when I go back out into the community, I'm going to come back like John the Baptist. I'm going to come back like Jesus and people, I'm going to come back like Moses down that mountain of quarantining and separation that when people see me, the last time they saw me, it was just a person. But the next time they see me, there's a glow about me. That is how I want to come out of COVID-19 quarantine. That's how I want to come out of this season. I want to come out looking different, sounding different, being completely transformed by being in the presence of of God. I wonder for a moment you could lift your hands where you're at and you could begin to say, God, right now in this moment, I pray that I don't waste my time. I pray I'm not idle with my time, but God, may I be locked away in your presence and in this hour of separation, in this hour of quarantine, in this hour, Lord, of social distancing, may I be more close to you than I have ever become. So when I come down from the mountain, when I come out of the wilderness, Lord, that there would be a glory that shines. Someone say in Jesus' name, hallelujah. I'm just about done here. This temple that we have talked about was not without purpose. It was all for an example. You read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you read in the book of Hebrews that everything in the Old Testament, before you're so quick to just brush it off and make fun of geographical location and building, God's the one that designated that. God's the one that provided and miraculously made sure it happened and came to pass. It was all of God's master plan. It was the most beautiful blueprint by the master builder himself. And there was a process to get to the presence of God, the holiest of holies, starting all at an altar of prayer and repentance and making our way into that holy place of God and that altar of incense and at the mercy seat. 
And it was a daily ministration. God was very particular about what the temple was to be. It was supposed to be daily ministration, daily approach to God. God was very particular about how the approach is to be, that it would be reverent and holy, that it would be daily repentance, daily altar sacrifice. It would be daily eating the bread of life, the word of God. It would be daily the altar of incense, the prayers going forth before God. It would be a holy approach to God. It would be a reverent approach to God, and there was to be no strange fire in this place. There was to be nothing foreign of God's presence in this place. It was a place where the fire should never go out. And if Sunday is the only time you get the fire, and now that you can't be even congregated in this temple, you will have your fire go out unless you are doing what God's master plan was to do, and that was to have a daily fire burning in your life of prayer. And though the temple, the building, can be removed, our American tradition, and I'm thankful for it, to be honest with you. I'm thankful that we have a geographical place that is designated for worship and prayer and teaching and sound doctrine. I'm thankful for all of that. But as this time of change is upon us in our concept of church, our American tradition concept of church is completely being shaken and waved in the balance. And I know it will circle back and we'll come back to this tradition, but I believe it's a moment for us to reboot I believe it's a moment for us to get adjusted and get a revelation and a lesson in this entire process that God is trying to teach us. He says, look, this is what I want you to know in 1 Corinthians 3.16, that you are the temple of God. This building is not the temple of God. You are the temple of God. And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. But this is very important that with this revelation that we are the temple of God and the Spirit of God presides inside of us, that in verse 17 says, if any man defile the temple of God, now what is a temple of God? Is it this building? It's you. You are the temple of God. And if you vandalize the temple of God, if you defile the temple of God, it says that there is a price to pay for that. It says, if you defile the temple, God will destroy because God, his temple is holy, which you are. He says it three chapters later in verse 18 through 20 in chapter six, he says, flee fornication, sexual activity outside of the confines of marriage. He says, every sin that a man does Without, is without the body. But the person that commits fornication sins against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have of God? And don't you know that ye are not your own? You are God's property. You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God, God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I've heard this so many times over the years. I've been pastoring 14 years now, and I've heard it. People say, well, you know, if they, they accidentally uh, uh, cuss in church or if they accidentally say something inappropriate in church, like, oh, I'm so sorry, this is the house of God. Or, you know, they'll take off their hat when they come in the house of God. Or, you know, they, they, they do certain things around the proximity of a building. They act differently. And they, they don't come into the church. I've never seen in 14 years someone come into this building 
and all of a sudden just light up a cigarette and smoke it or, you know, crack open, you know, a 40-ouncer and begin to throw back and, and drink some alcohol. I've never seen that because there's something inside of us that knows that this temple, this property is holy. But God says, no, you got this wrong. You're that property. You're that temple. Why don't you act that way with your temple? Don't treat this temple more reverent than you treat your temple, which is God's and God gave you. God gave you your property. God gave you your building, which is your body. And if you wouldn't come to church and commit a sexual act in the pews, and if you wouldn't come to this church property, this geographical one, and light a cigarette, if you wouldn't come to this church property and, uh, and, and do some profane thing, listen, God says, If that's how you act, that means you've made a building your idol. No, you are the temple of God. You are the building of God. And God's wanting to get us to recalibrate here and realize I am the church of God. I'm the building of God. And now that a Sunday service congregating is not going on, that's not a vacation from God. That's not a vacation from moral behavior. It is an increased responsibility for us to be on our best behavior because I'm not my own. I am God's property. I am the brick and mortar of God. And the Spirit of God wants to live in this property. Someone say praise the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. Ye also, as lively stones, you're the brick, he says. You're the property And together we build a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believes on him should not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, weren't too. Also, they were appointed. Basically, he says this message of Jesus being the chief cornerstone is one that offends people, and they stumble over this word. And just like they stumble over that, he says, this is no longer about these brick and mortar here. You're the brick and mortar. You're the property of Jesus Christ. And just like a moment ago, I made some strong statements that are basically just repeating what the Bible says, saying that you ought to treat your body, your property, as reverent as you have treated God on this property because God dwells where you dwell. God is where you are at. He does not limit himself to this geographical location. And so some people listening right now, maybe you're stumbling over these concepts, but it's not a judgment of God being a mean jerk. He's just saying, look, you got to think more of yourself you got to value yourself a little more. You're not just another body out there. You are the property of God. But because we think so low of ourselves, because we have so low self-esteem, because we've been raised with an inferiority complex, we don't treat this property like we treat this property. And God says, I got to do something here in this hour. I got to get you to reverence this property as much as you have reverenced this property. God wants to awaken you right now. You are more valuable than this 
building I stand in right now preaching to you. You are more valuable than any building with a cross or a steeple on it because you are what Jesus bled and died for. Jesus didn't pour out his blood for brick and mortar. Jesus poured out his blood for your flesh and blood because inside that flesh and blood is the spirit of a man. It is a soul that's going to live on. And Jesus wants you to live on with him in eternity because Jesus loves you. You are worth more than many sparrows. You are worth more than this miracle building that we're in. God gave us a $1.3 million building and property. You're worth more than $1.3 million. You're worth more than anything that we have in this building. Would you pray right now? Jesus, I love you. Lord, help us to have the revelation. Help us to have the understanding, God, that we are worth more. God, that we are more than flesh and blood. Jesus, we are the temple of the living God. Hallelujah. Not only are you the temple of God, Jesus in his word says in verse 9 of 1 Peter 2, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. Not only are you the building, you're the priesthood. You're the minister. I know I pastor this church, but God wants you to pastor your home. God wants you to be the spiritual leader in your home. That's not to negate or undermine or discredit spiritual leadership as myself and others. That's not the point or the purpose is to try to incite rebellion, but it's to try to incite some responsibility on our behalf as people that we are to go home and our home is to be a house of prayer. And because you are the priest of that home, you are the temple and you are the priest. And the problem is too many temples and too many priests have made the house of prayer a den of thieves. You go into people's man cave or their dens and it's just a place of debauchery and immorality. What is your den? Is it a den of thieves or is it a house of prayer? God says, I want you the priest. I want you the temple of God to be a house of prayer. This is your opportunity to make your home a house of prayer. This is your opportunity as a father to be the priest of your home. I believe that this is going to make or break so many people this hour that we're in right now. That after COVID-19 passes, there are homes that are going to come out of this stronger. But there are also homes that are going to come out of this completely falling apart because they've served the wrong thing. God wants you to be the house of prayer. God wants you to be the temple that is holy. God wants you to be the priest of your home. And if we would take on that call of God and that anointed responsibility, you will have a house that is peaceful, that is beautiful beautiful because right now there's reports going forth of domestic of violence and domestic abuse increase, increasing right now because such stress is on people and people lost their jobs or people aren't used to being around their families so much and they don't know how to even lead their families. But God is using this as a teachable moment for us right now. This is a teachable moment for you as a father, for you as a mother, for you as a child. This is a teachable moment where we make our homes not dens of thieves, not dens of immorality, not dens of, you know, fighting and arguing and yelling, but a place of worship, a place of love and peace. I believe that with all of my heart. In Jesus' name. Someone say, in Jesus' name. Come on, would you say in Jesus' name, make my house a house of prayer. Hallelujah. This is meant to be your finest hour. And in closing, I share this last verse with you today. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, the apostle Paul speaking to the church. 
He says, wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul says, you typically, you know how to behave when I'm around and we're in the same building together. But the thing that causes me to rejoice is when there's a time of separation and you're actually doing better now because you've learned how to live for God in your home. He says, because you've learned how to work on your own salvation with fear and trembling. Don't make this season a vacation from God. Make this season a school, a discipleship program, a boot camp in your home for God. It took Solomon seven years to build that temple of God. It took Herod's temple 46 years to be built. But Jesus says, I'm going to just wipe them both out. And this temple is going to be built in three days. Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days. I will raise it up. And you've been quarantined. You've been isolated away from society, from congregating in a church building. But you're going to raise up greater than Solomon's temple. And you're going to raise up greater than Herod's temple because there's someone in your home greater than Solomon. There's someone in your home greater than any brick and mortar. I'm thankful and I'm believing that when this season passes and we we recongregate and reassemble together, because the Bible does talk about forsake not the assembling yourselves together as a man or some is. It talks about that the house of God, which is the church of the living God, there is a time and a place we come together. But may it not be the only time and place that you're moral in talking to God. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus right now that you would minister into every single home, God. I pray, Lord, that there does not need to be a fear or a worry that weighs on me how people are living in their homes right now. I pray, God, that they not only live for you in my presence, but I pray, God, that they live even more consecrated with you in my physical absence. I pray, God, this be the finest hour for the fathers in their homes right now. I pray this be the finest hour for mothers in their homes right now. I pray this be the finest hour for the kids in homes right now. I pray this be the finest hour for those single living in their homes right now. May this be our time in the wilderness. May this be our time in Mount Sinai, God. Lord, may this quarantine season, this social distancing season, be, Lord, the closest we've ever got to you. And I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that when we come out of this, Lord, that we come out finer, that we come out stronger, that there is a glory that is upon us, that is the glory of God, that when people see our face and hear our voice, it is as if they see and hear the voice of an angel, the presence of God. May we leave from this moment as oracles of God. I pray this and I ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I encourage you right now, if you feel the presence of the Almighty God in your home, you are the priest of your home, and there's an altar in your home, would you take the next few moments right now as I turn this live feed off and I set this microphone down to begin to make your house a house of prayer? If you got a den in your home that's been a den of thieves, why don't you go to that place like Jesus and go ahead and turn some tables and change things around and say, God, I'm going to remodel my home. It's no longer going to be a den of darkness. It's going to be a place of light and purity and holiness. Would you make your house of prayer right now? Make it a place of prayer. Get your family gathered right now. Begin to call on the name of the Lord right now. Begin to pace where you're at and call on the name that is above every name. And God's Spirit will be with you. And God will help you purge your home and purge that temple. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose you in the Holy Ghost right now. In Jesus' name.